0: Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory. And again, we're going to be talking about the Kingdom of God. And we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We finished uh, Chapter 6 this morning. Chapter 6 is one that uh, has a few quotes in it that are always popping up, and usually people are misusing them, and it gets them into a lot of trouble. And so I thought I'd revisit that because it's in the context of Chapter 7, and we'll have enough time to do because it's a short chapter. Basically, the outline of Chapter 6 is starting to talk to the people about working together. And as I said, the church, religion, back then, religion 200 years ago, was the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. And your duty to your fellow man was to love your fellow man as yourself, to actually take care of your fellow man through faith, hope, and charity, and to not covet your neighbor's goods, not take away from your neighbor, not to brutalize your neighbor like Cain or Nimrod or the mean Pharaoh or any of that stuff. Not to take a bite out of one, lest ye be devoured yourself. Now, how do you take a bite out of one? Is he talking about zombies, actually biting people? No, he's talking about you take something from your neighbor. It's not stealing, but it's covetousness. You make some sort of deal where you have a right to take from your neighbor, and your neighbor has a right to take from you. And you do this in governments, and that's why Jesus said you're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other. What are those governments doing? They are empowered by the people to take from their neighbors, take from the rich, take for somebody richer than them, to take and take and take and take, and, take, and then give you benefits, you know, like Medicare, Medicaid, uh, welfare, Uh, unemployment, uh, you get to take from the wages of your neighbor so that you can have these benefits. And those benefits are called the wages of unrighteousness because they're based on systems of force rather than systems of love. And you cannot be a free society unless you base all your social welfare on systems of charity. If you base your systems of social welfare on systems of force, which the vast number of people in America can't see that that is just absolutely against Christ, against what Moses taught, against what uh, Abraham was doing. Wasn't going to take anything by force, but was going to help one another through living altars of charity. That's what the altars were. They were systems of charity, free will offerings. They don't weren't burning up sheep. They were sacrificing what they had, and a lot of times they had sheep, and sharing it with others who did not have enough. That is a system of social welfare that strengthens the community, brings the community together, and binds the community in a way where your local communities are really strong because they're all helping one another, those local communities are branched out through a network that they really care because, you know, when we had the flood back in 68, those guys from way off came and helped us. And I tell stories in the book, Kingdom Come, which is free online, about in 600 A.D. there was a guy who started exercising authority and started thinking he should be king over everybody. And people showed up from miles away. They came to say, stop being a tyrant. Because they knew if he got to be a tyrant there, then eventually he'd become a tyrant with them. And so people came from, who didn't even know these people in this local community, in this local valley, they came all the way there to assist them against this would-be tyrant. I love the story. The way it goes is that uh, he sees these people coming, and this army is growing, and it's getting closer and closer. You know, They're not right up to... He's not right up to their domain to take a bite out of them uh, or be uh, attacked, but they're coming. And because, you know, they're hunting and they're living off the land and they're gathering and getting to know everybody, they're kind of massing their forces. So he sends an ambassador out to them to make some sort of a deal. You know, like, if you guys promise not to attack me, I'll give you some gold or I'll give you some grain or I'll give you... You know, I'll do something for you. And so his ambassador goes out there to try to make a deal. Not to have, because, you know, when you finally have that battle, it's going to cost everybody. If you can come to some kind of agreement where they all go home and we don't have the battle, everybody is happier. And what happened was that after negotiating and trying to negotiate for some time, the ambassador came back and the king said, Well, did, did you make an agreement with them? Did you talk to their king? And he says, no, I was unable to. And he says, well, why? I mean, who is their king? And they say, well, they all say they are kings. And see, that's what Israel was in the days of Israel. There were no kings in Israel because every man was king in his own castle. And that works really good if every man is practicing pure religion. In other words, he's... Helping out by his performance of his duty to God, which is to be just, right, fair, righteous, and everything, and to help out the needy of your society when they fall on hard times. Of course, you're not going to help out the lazy bums. You're going to help out those people who actually fall on hard times because things happen. They're going to remember that you did that. And I always tell the story. I love the story when I was visiting my uh, grandmother up in North Dakota and uh, I ended up having to take something back to the store because there was something in the milk. And I don't know, my grandma was blind, so she might have poured some tomato juice back in the milk, but it was pink, and it wasn't supposed to be pink. And I just brought it back to get his opinion as to, did anybody else get pink milk? <laughs> and anyway... Uh, he assured me, No, no, he hadn't heard any other complaints, but he wanted me to take another half gallon. And I says, Well, you know, that's okay. If she did that then that's on us and you no know, he said, No, you take it. You I, I insist and I says, Well, I'm not trying to get pretty milk out of you and he just kept insisting. Finally he said, When I was growing up, my dad talked about your grandfather. Of all the people in town, he was the only one that came back and paid up everything he owed because during the Depression, everybody, you know, the storekeepers helped everybody out. And, you know, they gave him, you know, good deals and and carried him and, you know, uh, with credit and all this stuff. And occasionally he had to carry my grandfather in credit, but my grandfather came back and paid everything. And this guy was a little boy at the time, but he said, "As long, this is what he told me, as long as there was food in his store, my grandmother would never go hungry because of what my grandfather did 20, 30, 40 years earlier. And my grandfather was long dead. I never, ever met him. He died before I was even born. And so that was living on beyond him. His honor is what you would call his glory, because when you see that word glory, we talked about that, that has to do with honor. You give God the credit. Well, this guy was giving my grandfather credit, and he was actually going to take care of my grandmother because my grandfather had been so honest. That's how you make a strong community. And Paul's talking to the Corinthians about working together to do just that. So if there's any kind of tumult or difficulty or hard times and you need this ministration, he uses the word ministry or ministration. Uh, It's translated ministration in other places. It's the same word as the daily ministration. He is talking about the Church being that daily administration, not the free bread of Rome, because that's where men take away the the property of others to provide you with benefits you know that was Rome was sliding into socialism, which also meant that it was sliding into totalitarianism- because that's what happened that's what we saw in Russia that's what we saw in mao's china uh that's what we saw in Germany is that totalitarianism took over in the name, you can call it fascism, you can call it communism, but the fact is is that any kind of socialist state centralizes power in a few who are eventually corrupted by that power and they begin to take and take and take. Look at all the people that are running for office now that are talking about giving you this benefit and that benefit and this benefit how many of those people have become millionaires while they were working in government? I mean, Bernie Sanders is a millionaire. Elizabeth Warren is a millionaire. Pelosi is a millionaire. These people all become millionaires, uh millionaires. These they weren't millionaires when they started, but they're millionaires now. You can even go back to Nixon. Uh, He was a millionaire when he left office, but when he came into office, he was certainly no millionaire. Well, they're not getting to be millionaires on their salary. There's a great deal of graft and corruption when you go into all that, but that's what you're going to get if you're not seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness and taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. You're going to end up with a totalitarian government that is going to oppress you. And you see evidence of that now. But Paul's talking about taking care of one another in this pureness, by knowledge, by long-suffering, by kindness, by the Holy Ghost, and we explained a little bit about what that meant, by love, unfeigned, And that same word, love, can be translated charity, unfeigned, where you don't give up. You sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands and take care of one another. But in the second half of that, he talks about being unequally yoked with unbelievers. What's a believer? A believer is someone who believes in faith, open charity, not forced fear and bias. John the Baptist, everybody was doing it by force, trying to establish the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, the utopia of God on earth through force, through systems of Corban that force the offerings of the people. Augustus was doing it. Herod was doing it. Many other countries are doing it. Even Corinth was starting to do it. Paul is seeing and other techs talking to the treasurer of Corinth, saying, no, you got to do it this other way. You know, we had a thing called the Blues Festival out here in Summer Lake. A number of people put it on uh, every year, and, you know, they'd have blues bands come in and play, and anybody could come. And we charged a fee the first time, and, you know, you had to buy a ticket at the gate, and you could come in. And we made a certain amount of money, enough to pay all the bands and... Everybody kind of, you know, it was just a community thing. They just kind of did it, and uh, everybody kind of liked it. So we did it again the next year. What they did in some of the following years was they didn't charge a ticket. Everybody come, donations only. You know, if you want to donate something at the gate, you can donate something at the gate, and you can come in. But we weren't selling any tickets. We made way more money. Same amount of people but we made more money because there were people who were more. Gen- there were some who didn't pay anything. There always is, but other people were more generous, and it worked out pretty good. And, but eventually, they, you know, the people who were organizing it got the feeling like it was too much. We could do it again, but uh, it was just fascinating that when we didn't charge a ticket. They made more money than they did when they did charge a ticket. But they weren't doing it for the money. They made money so that next year they could get better bands. <laughs> they come in. And they had cowboy poetry and all that stuff. But that was that's an interesting character in human nature. Now, I wouldn't want to do that downtown Portland. Uh, I mean, they tried to have uh, restaurants that were free, you know, just pay whatever you can afford. Anyway, they went bankrupt. Uh, every one of them went bankrupt. Because all kinds of freeloaders come in. Because there's a lot of freeloaders in Portland. And, uh you know, leftists and liberals and what have you. Not that they're the only freeloaders. You can find freeloaders on both sides of the aisle. But out here where the rubber meets the road, where people have to work for a living, they're a lot more appreciative. And so they were a lot more generous. That's always been the way I've, I've seen things. But... You know, this morning I put a lot of extra links in that second paragraph. Uh, if you want to know where this is at, it's at preparingyou.com. That's preparingyou.com. And you just look up the Bible and you go to 2 Corinthians 6. And then there we have lots of other links that do fellowship and righteousness and Belial, and communion. What were these things? See, communion was your system of social welfare. It wasn't just a little crumb of bread. It was an actual system of social welfare. But in this last paragraph, uh, Paul says, I will d- uh, dwell... He's talking about God, and yet you're the temple of the Holy Spirit uh, of God. Uh, what does the agreement does the temple of God have with the idols? Well, in all the other... We've talked about this. I should put a link in there, the temples uh article to see that all those temples of Rome were systems, most of them were systems of social welfare. I mean, the Temple of Mineta actually minted coins. But they were all government buildings providing government services. And that's very important. And Christ was going to provide government services through his pure religion. But it was all by faith, hope, and charity. And a certain kind of people gathered together in such a system and other kind of people stayed in the system, you know, of welfare that was run in the free bread of Rome. And the people who gathered as Christians prospered. They did way better. And then as the system began to collapse and there was shortage of food because You know, global warming had stopped, and now there was global cooling, and so now the crops were failing, and there were other reasons crops failed. And then there were wars and rumors of wars, and there were volcanoes going off and earthquakes, and so there was hard times, but the Christians did pretty good. But what they were coming out of is that system of forced offerings, and they were setting the table of the Lord to have a system of free will offerings. And, of course, you have to have some sort of oversight, and, of course, that's why you sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands, so everybody can kind of see what's going on and how who's getting taken care of. He's kind of the buddy buddy systems times ten. Well, just before the show, I added all kinds of other links, Rome versus us, a link to Polybius, a link to Plutarch, to show you these ideas that have been around for a long time. Nimrod, what was wrong with Nimrod? He was a, he was a socialist and a system of social welfare. That's how he got power over the people. Uh, the Christian conflict. What were Christians being persecuted for? It's just amazing. We have the we have the actual trials of Christians. We know what they were accused of. You know, most Christians were being accused of things like atheism. Okay, so, but they did believe in God. But they didn't believe in the gods of Rome. Well, why, what does that have to do with? Well. If you believed in the God of, like, well, Roma, you signed up with the Temple of Roma. Herod built the Temple of Roma in Jerusalem, but he also built the Temple of Jerusalem. Uh, and But they were both providing benefits to people who would sign up with those temples. And they would pay in, and they would buy gold, and they would that would be in their treasury. And then they would help take care of the people. And that the problem was those offerings were forced; you were compelled to pay in. And of course, that makes the Word of God didn't affect. So, anyway, you can go read all that. But it, we're going to talk about Second Corinthians seven. And this morning, I read a little bit of that. I think I started around verse five. But if we go up there and start with uh, verse one in Corinthians, Second uh, Corinthians, chapter seven, having therefore. These promises, dearly beloved, what promises that God's going to take care of you if you take care of one another, that God will hear your prayers if you hear the prayers of others. Because he, way back when you chose to have a king under Samuel 8, he said that he that king, that president, that prime minister is going to take and take and take and take. And when you cry out, I'm not going to hear you because you wanted a man who would exercise authority. So you got it. Now, if you want me to hear you, you have to start sitting down and taking care of one another. And that process is what you would call, uh, weaving the wedding garments. You're setting the table of the Lord. So, anywhere, he says, clearly, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. What's he talking about? These systems that make you merchandise. That Peter says will make you merchandise, that will curse your children with debt. He said we're going to cleanse ourselves of that. We, we have no agreement with the temple of idols because we are gathering in the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is a living temple where you create bonds of love for one another rather than contracts where you have to pay in and then somebody pilfers a bunch of that money and then there's not enough money to go around. So anyway, it says perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's that process of seeking the kingdom, this system of charity. Receive us. We have wronged no man. We're not coveting our neighbor's goods. We're not asking men who call themselves benefactors to take from our neighbors, neighbors to provide us with stuff. We're doing homeschooling, home health, home industry. We're helping one another, and we we could do a lot more, and we will show you how to do that. But basically, this is what the early church was doing, and it's what the church is failing to do today, which is why the church today is not the true church. We're not we're not the true church. We strive to be the true church. Because that's that's the job description. Seek the kingdom. And so any church that wants to seek the kingdom, we're just telling you what it looks like. So he says, uh, we have corrupted no man. We have defrauded no man. We're not forcing anybody. We're not taking anybody. We're not refusing to take care of people because everything that we receive is freely given. And you can freely receive it. We're not going to create bonds. We hope that you. we we live by faith, hope, and charity, not force. And so, therefore, we're not compelling. We have no entitlements. But we hope everybody is there for one another. And I tell you, if you get the right kind of people together, you'll be way better off. He says, I speak not this to condemn you, for I have said before... That ye are in our hearts to die and to live with you. He, he he was saying in that previous chapter about enlarge his heart was enlarged for you, and he wanted you to enlarge your heart for others. Great is my boldness of speech towards you. Great is my glorying of you. And in other words, again that word glory, he honoring you, because he says you guys are doing a good job, and I honor you in that. I I brag about you to others so that they will have courage to do the same. I am filled with comfort. I am exceeding joyful in all our tribulations because we're doing it the right way. We're doing it through faith, hope, and charity. So now if we go down to verse 5, For when we were come into Macedonia. So they had gone to Macedonia. Paul was going around to a lot of places. One of his first jobs was taking relief, I think, to Syria. And, of course, in Corinthians, he talks about helping bring relief from Corinth to Jerusalem. And then, of course, Jerusalem redistributes to places like Ephesus. Because these problems would get worse in one area, and then they would kind of get better, and then they'd get worse in another area. So this body of Christ was able to circulate funds and supplies where it was needed without all the waste and graft and corruption that you were seeing in the Roman government. Because the Roman government created offices as of power, and men who seek power sought office, and they were corrupted by the power that they had because power corrupts. But the church, we don't have any way of forcing offerings. We don't have. We do not exercise authority one over the other. So if we don't do a good job, you don't give us anything. If we do a good job, then you support the work that we do. And everybody begins to learn what it is to help one another. So anyway, in verse 6, it says, Nevertheless, God... That comforteth those that are cast down. Comforted us by the coming of Titus. So they were getting getting kind of depressed because there was all this fighting, this trouble on every side. Without uh, where fightings within were f- fierce. But Titus came, and with Titus things got better, and not by his coming only, but by the consolation wherewith he was comforted in you when he told us your earnest desire, your mourning, your fervent minds towards me, so that I rejoiced the more. So they left Macedonia and they ended up coming to Corinth. For though I made you sorry with a letter, we talked about that, first Corinthians was kind of a harsh letter. I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle hath made you sorry, though it were but for a season. So in other words, they had problems, but they straightened it out, things got better in Corinth, and now he's happy about that. And then of course we talked about that at the beginning, the second Corinthians was kind of Corinth Paul White. You know, uh, rather than, he says that he, I was light because before I was heavy. So anyway, this is another reference to that. For though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent. Though I did repent, for I perceive that the same epistle has made you sorry, though it were but for a season. Now, I rejoice, not that... Ye were made sorry, but that ye sorrowed to repentance, to thinking a different way. That's what repentance is. For ye were made sorry after godly manner, that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. They're they not looking for a safe space because Paul's picking on us, but they received what he had to say and they got better and started doing things better, and so Titus had this good news, and that really cheered Paul up. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repentant of, but the sorrow of the world worketh death. For behold, this selfsame thing that ye sorrowed after, a godly sort, what carefulness it! wrought in you, yea, what clearing of yourself, yea, what indignation, yea, what fear, yea, what vehement desire, yea, what zeal, yea, what revenge in all things ye have approved yourself to be clear in this matter. So he's got really good reports about Corinthia and what was going on there. And so anyway, that's what Paul was talking about. Now there's one more paragraph which I announced to be he remembereth the obedience of you all. And this is one of the problems with the modern church today. They're not doing that they don't they don't provide the social welfare. Their communion is just a crumb. They don't take care of one another. If they have needs, social welfare needs They send them to the people who exercise authority one over the other. They send their congregation there. They are not working to be the congregation of righteousness. They are working to be like the governments of the Gentiles. And they are just tickling the ears of the people. And that is destroying and making the Word of God to none effect. And so now all these modern Christians have need of repentance. So anyway, we're going to take a little break, and then I'll be right back. We've got some of the switchboard. Hopefully I had to upload all the files, so hopefully we'll be okay for a while unless we get another saboteur. But anyway, we'll be right back to Keys of the Kingdom. Okay, well, welcome back. We're in verse 12 of 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Wherefore, though I wrote unto you, I did it not for his cause that had done the wrong, nor for the cause that suffered wrong, but for our care for you in the sight of God might appear unto you. Therefore we were comforted in your comfort, yea, and exceedingly the more joyed we for the joy of Titus, because his spirit was refreshed by you all. For if I have boasted anything to him of you, I am not ashamed. But as we spake all things to you in truth, even so our boasting, which I made before Titus, is found a truth, and his inward aff- uh, affection is more abundant towards you. While he remembered the obedience of you all, how with fear and trembling ye received him, I rejoice therefore that I have confidence in you in all things. Now, when it says fear and trembling, we can draw a picture in our own mind that somehow, you know, uh, Titus is this uh, uh, intimidating figure. Well, it's not fear and trembling that way. These people, these are probably some pretty special people, hardworking. Everybody who survived in those days had to be some sort of a hard worker, and, uh and they were taking care of one another and sharing what they had with one another. And this created a whole... The union and discipline of the Christians in their network of tens, hundreds, and thousands absolutely terrified the emperors. Because they knew if these people decided to get violent, they were ready. It's kind of like, you know, people talk about, you know, gun control. We have to get guns out of the people. You know, the the people, the gun owners in America... You know, it's millions upon millions of people with billions of rounds of ammunition. If they were the problem, you'd know about it. There are, all these shootings are taking place where you are restricting the ownership and, uh, and the possession of firearms. So the people who go and abuse the firearms, they go to these places where there are no guns, and they shoot up people. The most of the gun owners actually are keeping you safe. Nobody's, nobody drives down the streets of Paisley, Oregon and shoots up people because they won't make it through town. You know, there was a guy who shot somebody back in 1957 in town and, uh, he didn't make it to the next town. <laughs> anyway, because of the fact that everybody's armed out here. And we're not shooting each other. Medical accidents kill more people than guns. They 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 kill far more people than guns in this country. And there's really not a real high death rate from guns if you took away the suicide rate. And then that's another thing. If you were spending effort to take care of one another through faith, hope and charity, you're actually being doers of the word of what Christianity was all about. There would be a lot less suicide. There would be a lot less need for depression medicine, medicines because you wouldn't be depressed because you were spending your day helping other people out, and there's an exhilaration that comes with that. You can't do it just for that exhilaration, but it, it gives you a sense of purpose and a sense of value. And but we we've forgotten that, and we've gotten away from that, and so. It's time that we write another letter from, like that Paul to the Corinthians because people are not doing what they're supposed to be doing. So anyway, in my side notes there, it says, to understand the daily ministration of pure religion, it would be good to understand the Christian conflict. And so there, there's actually three links, daily ministration, pure religion, and Christian conflict. Because the Christians were being persecuted because they wouldn't sign up for the public religion of the Romans or of the Pharisees. They wouldn't sign up for that. Because they had and and you can see in Justin the Martyr's Apology, he tells you this is how we do it. We meet every week and we those who have share with those that don't have enough. And it works. We do it we do it really well. And they knew it worked. But when they started going, what happened is that all the freeloaders went over and joined the religion that forces the contribution to the people because if you're a freeloader, we'll know it because we're sitting down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. We know if you're lazy, if you're sitting home watching TV all day and want, just get a check. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. That weakens you and that was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah that in a time of affluence they did not strengthen the poor. And so, and you hear people like Candace Owens saying that, uh, the welfare system has incentivized fathers leaving the homes and so you end up with these single parent families which are far more likely to end up getting into trouble than the, uh, two family, you know, two parent families. Statistically speaking, there are exceptions to that. Anyway, so we have our links to those articles and it says with the temples of Rome so there's another two links temples and Rome and we explain what all the temples do and their public welfare the free bread and circuses of Rome that brought Rome down and the pur- purpose of their persecution so there's a, there's another link to persecution. So you can read about these things because they're not teaching you this in school. They're not teaching this to you in your churches. So the modern Christian, another link, is unequally yoked with unbelievers. The truth is many of the modern Christians are unbelievers too. They say they believe, but they're not doers of the word. They're not taking care of one another through faith, hope, and charity. They go to the men who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. You can't do that and tell me that you're following Christ and expect me to believe you. You're just not following Christ because that's not... He said we weren't to be that way, and you are that way. So that's a problem. So you're actually... You think you're Christian, but you're actually under a strong delusion. We have another link to an article there. So the modern Christians love the wages... Of unrighteousness. They love the benefits that are provided by men who exercise authority, which is the wages of unrighteousness. Uh, are they, again, entangled in the oak of bondage because of that? Absolutely. Through the elements of the world. And we have articles, elements, to know what's that word, elements. It's translated a couple of different ways, and we explain that. Are they made merchandise like Peter said they would be? Are they, do they curse children like Peter said they would? How did Peter say you would do that? To covetous practices, desiring benefits from men who exercise authority. Now, I know I say a lot of these things over and over again. I see there are Uh, We have some callers that are listening in, and I recognize some of those numbers. They're pretty regular. But how many people out there, the millions upon millions of billions of people in the world, don't hear that that is the actual message of Christ? And we have the articles, and with footnotes we can go down and you can see, yeah, he said this flat out, just said it right to you. You're not to be that way. It is not to be that way with you, but it is that way with the modern Christian. So they can't be following Christ. They can rationalize it all they want. And we talked about that this morning, how this irrational behavior has come about because people are eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They're not eating. If they were listening to the Holy Spirit, they would know, wait a minute, I know way back, you know, I went to uh, State Unemployment Service back in uh, Wisconsin. And I had come back to an area where I owned some property and uh, with my wife and my kid. And we were going to, uh, I needed to get a job. So I went there and they didn't have any jobs listed. And so they said, they but they had free money they wanted to give me. I said, well, free money for what? Says, well, the government has money that we can give you because you don't have a job. Well, I didn't come here for free money. Same as I did with the milk. <laughs> I didn't come here for free money. I came here to find a job. It was just foreign to me to think of getting free money because I didn't have a job. Why? Where? I, I should now. I would ask, like, where are you getting the money? Oh, you're taking it from other people and giving it to me. Well, that's you're not very generous. Oh, yeah, we're very generous. No, you're not generous. You're you're taking from somebody else. And you want me to desire the benefit that you're going to offer me because you went and took from somebody else. And you think that's okay. Now, I didn't... I was never lectured this when I was studying to be a priest or when I was studying in a seminary or a parochial school. But to me, it was just obvious. That's wrong. But to most people... No, that's the way we do it now. Christ said not to do it that way, but you're telling me that we do it that way now. No, I don't do it that way. (laughs) So anyway, we need to turn around. We need to think a different way. And so I'm calling. I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. I'm literally in the wilderness. As soon as I'm done here, I have to run back out. Hopefully the wolves and coyotes have not eaten the sheep while I've been gone uh doing the program. I have nobody to go out and watch them for me today because they're all doing something else somewhere else. I'm the only one here. So I came in just three minutes before the show started and <laughs> started uh to to get ready to do the show. So this is you you wanna come out of her, my people? You need to start sewing the wedding garments. You need to start setting the table of the Lord. And the way you do that, the way he said to do that, the way he commanded us to do that, is sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands. So you want to go to the websites and join the network and get in the congregation. No matter how far away the people are, you want to get as close as possible. And then help us get this message out to other people so that... We can provide this all over the country because we, we're not on big platforms yet, but we're working on it, and we're working on it a number of different ways. But it all takes time. It all takes energy. It all takes perseverance. We put our hand to the plow. And we're not planning on taking it off, but we need your help to make this happen. Uh, today we live in an era where suddenly you could get thrust into the limelight of media and you could get tens of thousands of people coming to your website and reading the message. I'm sure that we'll only get five to ten percent of Americans and Australians to go along with this if everybody heard the message. Because that's all you got in the days of Christ. But 5 to 10% is nearly a billion people. That's a lot of people. And so, because there's, what, 7 billion people in the world, 8 billion people in the world. The amazing thing is that we've had a number of people come and they fall away. You do not want to do that. But if you want to come back and start participating, and then we have a number of people that are with us, but they're not really with us. They're not they're not really dedicated to they they've come for a variety of reasons i actually know some of the reasons and i could go through them but the fact is is uh this is i've been working on stuff uh for the last several weeks i know there are people getting impatient with me cuz i probably haven't delivered them, but i will deliver it to the ministers here shortly but I I go out into the desert and I pray about this and come back, and then God says, no, you have to change this, and I change it. And then you have to add this, and I add this. And so I'm working on this that is very important. One of the things you're supposed to do is measure the temple. So how do you measure the temple of God? Well, there are parameters in doing what God says. And doing things according to the way that God says to do it. And we need, I need to apply those to myself as well as to others in the relationship I have with others. I'm not much, I, I don't want authority over people. I don't want to control and manipulate people. I want you to find your own motivation. And that's what, because there's no way to have a free society unless people actually do it that way. So that's that's where we have to get to if we're going to actually seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So anyway, the, the, there's other links there on the side panel. And you, if you go to preparingyou.com, we're also opening up an, another site, Preparing Letter U. So There's Preparing Y-O-U. And we used to have preparing you, just the letter you, like preparing you in the sense of like university or something. And uh, that's going to be, that's actually, we have somebody who's organizing all the podcasts and putting them up. And he's actually uh, done some work with uh, transcripts of the shows and the broadcasts. And so it makes it, and then he puts in timestamps so it's easy to get to certain sections. And then we're going to take chunks of this and put them out. And some people are already doing it, putting it out on YouTube. And if we if we get a team of people, dozens of people or hundreds of people doing this, then we can we when we put new stuff out, it can get out into media. And I'm sure we're going to get some attention. But the biggest thing is to sit down the tens, hundreds, and thousands, and don't lose faith. Put your hand to the plow and keep going according to the ways. Of Christ. So anyway, the next uh, chapter is chapter 8 in 2 Corinthians, and uh, it, it's just a continuation, and it talks about the ministering to the saints, and this is something that's coming up, and it's one of those things that I've been working on. Well, who's the saints? You know, we have those, there's so many words we use today. Religion doesn't mean today what it meant back then. Saints doesn't mean today what it meant back then. So, when Paul uses the word "saints," we need to be thinking what Paul was thinking. Unfortunately, we're thinking what modern church religion is telling us these things mean he talks about "I speak not by commandment, but by occasion of the forwardness of others and to prove the sincerity of your love. So what's he going he talks about he became poor. This is where he says that Jesus, though he was rich, he made himself poor, and that's in that chapter 8. So you got ministering to the saints and made himself poor and providing for honest things. Well, again, they're all talking about the practice of pure religion, praying to our Father in heaven, not to the Father in Rome, and this is why Christians were kind of ostracized because they said, what's wrong with our system? Why are you going this other way? And because it's righteous. You are telling us that we're not righteous? Yeah, that's what I'm telling you. See, I, that's what I say, and that doesn't make me popular. But you tell me how you can have a free society without this. You you see it. You see tyranny coming. You know they're they're battling back and forth. They they think that oh we'll get the vote and we'll get this all worked out. You know who are your choices? last time. Okay, so you're gonna get Trump again probably this time, maybe. If somebody doesn't kill him or somebody doesn't injure him or he doesn't have a heart attack. Who who else is gonna run and do what he supposedly is doing and he's not I mean, like I said, this this last week they extended the Patriot Act. I didn't tell people this morning how far they extended it. They extended it to March fifteenth. March 15th in ancient history is when you settle all dates. That's what that, that was a date where you settled all dates. It's also the date in which they assassinated Caesar. It's, and a number of other things happened on that date. So anyway, the Patriot Act has been extended to March 15th of next year. <laughs> so I don't know. Is that a premonition? I don't know. But the Patriot Act is outrageous. Uh, Patriot Act 1, Patriot Act 2, and, uh, you go back to, and I talked briefly about that this morning, is the uh, Anti-Terrorist Act, which was introduced into Congress by Biden. And when was it passed? It came up for vote the day after the Muir building was blown up. And it passed. They took out a few provisions, but then those showed up in the Patriot Act. So somebody's writing these things, and they're they're totalitarian in in vision. I mean, you can be arrested for suspicion. You can be thrown into jail. Now, you know, we don't have a media that we used to have. The media is as corrupt as anything else, most of it. I mean, there is a few things getting out. But if you don't have this network of people that care about one another, where are you going to go? Who are you going to call? You know, we this way early Christians were not only surviving, they were thriving because this was real religion. This was pure religion to have that network. We need to have that network. We need to go this other way. And so anyway, what I recommend is people come again to preparingyou.com and join the network. Find a congregation as close to you geographically as possible. Join it. Get on the congregation calls. Start contributing and let's see if we can't create more and more interest in the fellowship of Christ and the ministry of the saints and how they were taking care of one another through faith open charity. Sacrifice is the name of the game. and But you have to have that local control, that individual knowledge of who you're giving to and how is he doing. Is he doing a good job or is he doing a poor job? Is he practicing pure religion? Now, things aren't really bad yet. There are some things that uh, that are kind of going downhill. <laughs> but, and there's certainly a lot of a crazy, loony ideas out there, uh, and you—those the, ideas are becoming pervasive because there's a spirit growing up in the people. And you see it with these people throwing their temper tantrums and screaming and yelling. And you know, people make fun of the fact that oh, they didn't even know what bathroom to use. But like the story I talked about this morning, where you know, one or two, just a few kids, boys in the school. Say they are girls or they feel like girls, and they want to change in the girls' locker room because they feel uncomfortable in the boys' locker room because they think they're girls. They have a delusion. They're not girls. They're boys. But they identify with being a girl so much that they have this strong delusion of being a girl. It's a dysphoria. And they want to change in the girls' locker room. It makes the girls uncomfortable, but nobody cares about that. To provide this delusional person with comfort, they are going to put all the other girls in an uncomfortable state. In order to give him a safe place to change, he's going to make the place where all the girls change unsafe. Now there's a boy in there who can cock at them, and they don't like it. They don't want it. Now, some girls probably don't care. But most of the girls really don't want it. But they don't care about them. So this is the kind of spirit you're seeing, the evidence of a spirit growing up in the people. They'll take away your right to free speech. used to be the left and the liberals were the ones who guaranteed free speech. It was the conservatives who said, oh, yeah, but not that kind of music, uh, not that kind of speech, but, and you got comedians coming out using the F word and stuff like that, and they were saying, well, that's not right. But that was coming from the conservative side, and the liberals defended them, which is not really what free speech is all about. But, it's you know, I think it's stupid, but if people want to say those things, I just don't have to listen to them. But the reality is, is that the people today that are against free speech are all the less in, the, in many of the liberals, because the liberals have gone left. And they will bang and scream and shout and clank to stop you from speaking. They will they'll firebomb people and hit them with pipes and throw uh, sewage on them. They'll do all kinds of things, chase little kids down the street, block old people in the street, because they don't believe in free speech. They want, they say their freedom is threatened by your speech, so they're absolutely willing to take your freedom away if you don't. What? I don't get it. It doesn't make any sense. And and like I was saying, this intersectionality thing, where they divide people up into groups. You're black. You're a black woman. You're a black woman with children. You end up in these black woman with children groups. And where these different characteristics cross, this is this intersectionality. It used to be everything was broken down into you're an individual, you're an individual, you're an individual, and we will judge you according to the character of you. But now we judge you according to your social group. That's insane. That's how you're taking away rights of the people in the name of getting your special rights. That is totalitarianism. Yet, they're the ones that are calling us fascists. The anti-Antifa people are the fascists today. They don't have much power, but there's a lot of people. You know, I mean, you're not supposed to have this hate speech, but you get, I won't name who they are, but you get well-known personalities saying attack people in the restaurants in the streets. Make them not welcome. That's hate speech. You're actually telling people to attack other people. They are guilty of what they're accusing everybody else of. So anyway, we need to repent, turn around, go the other way. And one way to do that is to follow Christ. And if you're going to follow Christ, you need to actually follow the real Christ. Till then, peace on your house, and may God be with you. God bless.